Turn with me tonight to the Epistle of Jude. Epistle of Jude is easily defined just before Revelation, the 65th book in the Bible. If you want a big fancy term, it's known as the penultimate book. That means the one before the last. But we'll just go with the one before the last, all right? Because that makes it very simple and it helps me to, to understand. Let's read God's word together, at least in part from this chapter. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of that great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, Durst not bring against him a reeling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Cory. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, 
having men's person and admiration because of advantage. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 16. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from the general epistle of Jude. We're thinking about the opening part of verse 11. It says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. And I want to think tonight of a subject that I've entitled, God's Exposure of the Way of Cain. Judah's writing as the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And although he intended to write of the common salvation that's being experienced and enjoyed by all of true believers everywhere, he felt constrained by the Holy Spirit to write, to exhort them to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. You can see that in the third verse. And if you look at verse 4, you'll find the reason why he was so concerned about them earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. He tells us here, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to think of certain men, ungodly men, and they have crept into the church and they have arose within the body of professing believers. And they uh, profess to be converted by the power of the gospel. They, they profess to believe the gospel. They, they profess to belong to Christ. And yet the real aim and purpose to come into the church was to dilute the gospel, to, to dis- deny the gospel, and to destroy the gospel. And these men, of course, are now in positions of leadership, and they're failing to be the true custodians of the gospel. See, the gospel remembers precious. It's a message from God. And the gospel must be proclaimed. Send thy light and thy truth. And the gospel, of course, must be preserved. Remember the apostle Paul says, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Now now think of it. In the day of Jude, in the first century, Not long after the formation of the New Testament church, men and women came into the church. They've been received into membership. Maybe they've gave testimony. I've no doubt that many of them were baptized, like Simon Magus was baptized. But the reality is they were not truly born again of the Spirit. They're not genuinely converted. They're not right with the Lord. Their heart is not right in the sight of God. And sadly, regrettably, they started using their position to sow the poison of error and false doctrine. And these men were attacking, not a secondary issue, but the very gospel itself. Notice the words in verse 4. Turning the grace of God, our God, into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, denying the person and work of Christ, diluting it to destroy it. See, remember the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 1 
said false prophets also among the people as they shall be false teachers among you who privily bring in damnable heresies even denying the Lord that bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction it was the apostle John that says in 1 John 4 and 1 many false prophets are gone out into the world you see we live in a day when we're told that it's wrong to be critical that it's wrong to be negative, that it's wrong to disown men and movements. And of course, we're lambasted with this statement that the Free Presbyterian Church thinks it's the only church that's right. We're accused of being unloving and uncaring. We're told that we have little or no regards for others. Now, such statements, I believe, are totally false. Because it's not wrong to be critical, it's not wrong to be negative, and it's not wrong to denounce men and movements. The Bible says, listen to the scriptures, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And if there's no light in the hearts and minds of men, then they are in darkness. And if they speak against the person and work of the Lord Jesus, if they deny his virgin birth, his sinless life, his atoning death, think of those in the church denying the Lord that bought them. Denying his bodily resurrection, denying the necessity of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, denying the need for repentance and faith in Christ, denying heaven and hell. Then we have to say and love such men, such women, they're, they're false brethren, they're, they're false teachers, they're, 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 they're false preachers. You see, I believe tonight that it's the job of every true preacher of the gospel to stand for the defense of the gospel and part of that job is to warn about false doctrine and false error and the dangers of not only backsliding but the dangers of apostasy now I have a question tonight how can you spot and identify a false teacher who's preaching error and falsehood. How do we know what they're like? Well, the answer is we can learn from the epistle of Jude. This was a general epistle that was issuing a warning to the church against apostasy and religious downgrade and backsliding. And Jude says, by way of summary, thinking about false teachers with their false doctrine in the church, denying the Lord that bought them, denying the only Lord God, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, denying the person and work of Christ. This is what he says. Look at verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. There are many, many religions in the world. There are many, many religious movements in the world, too numerous to name. But I believe tonight, and listen to me carefully, that all false religion, every false teacher, can be traced back to what I'm going to call the religion of Cain. Jude called it the way of Cain. 
But I want to tell you we can substitute the word way for religion. And you see, the religion of Cain, which is alive and well today on planet Earth, is the great prototype for all false religion in the world. And the religion of Cain is all around us. And the religion of Cain is live and well in Northern Ireland. And sadly, it's even found tonight in the broad house of Christendom. And it needs to be exposed. And that's what Judah's doing. And that's what we're going to think about tonight. God's exposure of the religion of Cain. I want you to think, first of all, of the features of the religion of Cain. Think of this word, the way of Cain. See, there's 25 references in the Bible to the word Cain. Genesis 4, there's 13 references to Cain. Hebrews 11 and verse 4, and this is what the Bible says. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. And in 1 John chapter 3 and in the verse 12, we read these words, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's Righteous. And also in Jude 11, it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. And as I've said, if you read Genesis 4 very carefully, and I would love to have taken the time to read that chapter tonight, and you go through it very carefully, there's 13 direct references to Cain. Now, now that's not in the Bible by accident. Genesis 4, 13 references to this one man. Did you know that in biblical numerics, according to Bullinger, 13 is the number of apostasy? Cain, remember, is the firstborn of Adam and Eve. He, he's the eldest son. He became the first farmer because he's a tiller of the ground in the Bible. He, he worked the soil, he was a grower of crops. Did you know he became the first apostate? He's the first murderer in the Bible. Did you know he was the first one to go down into hell itself? Do you know that he was the first unbeliever in the world? He was a rejecter of God and his truth. One who was full of anger and malice. Became the very enemy of God. You see, when you think about the features of the religion of Cain, I want you to learn this, that Cain rejected the word of God. You see, I have no doubt as a young boy, Cain was taught and told the word of God by Adam and Eve. Remember how that Adam and Eve clothed themselves originally with fig leaves? And then God, he um, killed a, an animal, it could be a lamb, it could be an ox, it could be a goat. And in the ground of that shed blood, he forgave their sin of disobedience against him. And he made them clothing from the animal skin to cover them. Genesis chapter 3 and in the uh, verse uh, 21. And this is what the Bible says. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. And I have no doubt that 
Abel and Cain grew up with the knowledge of the word of God. As I've told you, one boy grew up to be a farmer, a tiller of the ground, and the other grew up to be a shepherd, a keeper of sheep. So one worked the soil and one kept sheep. Adam, of course, wisely, I believe, put his two sons to work. Each boy grew up to their own interest, developed their own skill, followed their own path. As I said, one was a farmer and one was a shepherd. Now, there's nothing wrong with hard work. I believe hard work. Hard work is part and parcel of the creation ordinance. Hard work's not a punishment. I remember Adam looked after the Garden of Eden before the fall. He was really the first gardener. And what a privilege it is to use the gifts that God has given us, whether we work the soil or look after sheep or even tend to the sunflowers. See, God has no time for idleness. The Bible doesn't condone laziness. Remember, the Lord Jesus labored as a carpenter in the city of Nazareth. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. And it's great to have a work ethic, young people. Martin Luther in his day talked about the dairy maids who were milking cows and they were doing it to the glory of God. Some of them could have been former nuns. Think of that. The dairy maids could milk cows to the glory of God. You see, despite this man Cain having a good work ethic, Cain grew up to reject the word of God. And many young people today have a good work ethic, but they're growing up to reject the word of God. You see, God had a set time for worship. If you look at your Bible, turn there to Genesis chapter 4, and let me just give you the um, reference. It says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Now, God, I believe, had a set time for worship. Uh, the, the reference there in process of time literally means in the end of days. And it could be an end of the week. And it could be for the Sabbath, the first day of the week, an end of the working week. And here's the first day set aside for, for the worship of God. And he had to have a set place for worship. Because there was reference here to the offering unto the Lord. And, and that would have involved an altar. And, and, and God, of course, had a set way for worship. And it was all revealed by his parents to him as he grew up in his house. And it was God's way. And it ought to have been acceptable to him. Now, now here's what happened. Listen to me carefully, young people. Cain set aside God's word in his heart and mind, and he decided to approach God on his own terms, in terms of human reasoning. And he rejected God's revealed word. And in fact, it was really a form of will worship. I want to ask the question, where did Cain get the idea at the end of days? References have said to the end of the week. If it was the first day of the week and he's making his approach unto God, he ought to have been making his approach in the ground of the shed blood because that was God's way. That's what God had set down. That's how he instructed Adam and Eve. And that was the instruction that Adam and Eve gave to their boys. And one of the boys called Abel followed that way and the other rejected it. 
But where did he get this idea to offer the fruit of the ground? Surely there's no indication in the scriptures that God required it. Where did he get this idea from? Where did he get this concept from? Not from God, not from his father and mother, not from his brother. Well, the answer is he divined it himself. It was a self-made idea. He received this instruction from his own heart and mind. He rejected the instruction of how a sinner can approach God, even though he'd been brought up in it and taught it by his father and mother. Yet when the, the, the time came, he grew up and he practiced really a pagan religion that was conceived in his own heart and mind. See, someone has rightly said that true religion to be accepted by God it must be ascribed by God. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit, but also in truth. And what is that truth? Well, it's God's word. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. The catechism asks, what rule hath God given whereby we may glorify and enjoy him? And here's the answer. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. We're, we're thinking of Reformation Month. Sola Scriptura. Only the scriptures. The scriptures alone. That's the final authority for every appeal. It's what does the Bible say? But false religion, it rejects the Bible as the infallible, inerrant, authoritative, and clear and sufficient word of God. And that's exactly what Cain did. He rejected what God had revealed in his heart and mind. And, and, and he felt that he knew better than God. And having rejected God's word, he came up with his own human reasoning. And the Bible tells us there that Cain brought the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. It was out of his own self-will. Cain not only rejected the word of God, but Cain rejected the worship of God. Here's another feature of the religion of Cain. You think of this set time for worship. If it was the Sabbath, the altar is built. And what does he offer? Not the blood of the lamb, but the fruit of his labor. The works of his own hands. See, he's full of his own idea and how to approach God. I'd offer to God the works of my hands. Now, it was lovely. I've no doubt that it looked good. I've no doubt that Cain was sincere. I've no doubt that this was the best that he had. I, I, I have no doubt that he felt that he was genuine in what he was doing. But there was one thing missing. And you know what was missing from the offering unto the Lord? It was the lack of the shed blood. You see, the Bible says without the shedding of blood is no remission. Cain was refusing to take his place as a sinner. He was refusing to acknowledge that God is holy and just. He was refusing to accept that, that, that a holy God, his wrath and anger needs to be appeased in order for a person to have a relationship and fellowship with him. He was refusing really to take the place as a guilty sinner before God. Abel, he believed it all. I'm a guilty sinner before God. I need to bring a blood sacrifice. God's wrath needs to be appeased. It says in Genesis 4 and 4, And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Isn't that what we have already read in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4? But Cain rejected it. 
Cain spurned the blood atonement. He chose his own way. See, the way of Cain is not the way of Christ. And the way of the cross is different from the way of Cain. Because Cain was built on a faulty scheme of human reasoning that rejected the blood atonement. And that's serious. Because the Bible tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11 There's no acceptance with God. There's no atonement without the blood. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Didn't he say when I see the blood I will pass over you? We were singing. We were singing that tonight. And singing it deliberately. But God felt. Or Cain felt. He thought that God's salvation could be merited. It could be earned. He felt, well, I have to do something. So he toiled and labored all week. He brought the works of his own hands. He thought it must count for something. And based on human will and reasoning, albeit rooted in error, he tried to worship God in his own terms. And he ignored the blood sacrifice of Christ, which Abel had offered. You see, every gospel blessing, remember, comes to us on the basis of the blood sacrifice of Christ. Cain approached God with no sense of sin, no comprehension of guilt, not on the basis of the blood sacrifice. He felt good about himself. No doubt, I believe, he was also full of pride. He had immense satisfaction. There was well-being in his heart. I can hear him saying in his heart, I've done the best. I've worked hard to achieve all this. Oh, my, my offering unto the Lord, the fruit of my hands, it looks good. He felt it should be accepted. But it wasn't. You see, what was he doing? He was turning his back and rejecting the true worship of God. And is not true of all false religion tonight? Doesn't false religion reject the word of God? You think of the railing against the authorized version? You think of the proliferate of perversions that's now been used even within the broad house of Christendom. And of course, many within the broad house of Christendom not only reject that God has given us an infallible book, an inerrant book, authoritative book, but they reject the blood atonement of Christ. And what they're offering to God at their heart is really a works righteousness. And they feel, well, I must do this to be accepted by God. So they'll join the church, they'll be baptized, they'll follow or try to follow the moral law, they'll obey this code, they'll deny themselves, they'll give money and time. You, you, you think of any religion, and at its heart is this concept of a works righteousness, something that you can offer and do to appease God. Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism. You think of it, many branches of the professing Christian church. And you have this idea inherent within it that man can do something to merit the favor of God. That, that, that we must do something worthwhile so that God can be pleased with us. So that God can be happy. So that God can be satisfied. And even those that approach God in Christ's name, the mindset is Christ plus something else. Some works of our hands. So some merit. And of course, grace and Christ and faith alone and scripture alone is rejected. Cain rejected the true worship of God. Could I tell you something else? 
Cain rejected the will of God for his life. You, you, you look at the scripture that says, verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. What was the result? And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why hast thy countenance fallen? Verse 7, If thou dost well, shalt thou not be accepted? The word accepted means have excellency with me. And if thou dost not well, listen to this, sin lieth at the door. Sin's like a, a lion waiting to pounce on you, to destroy you. And it says, And unto thee shall be his desire. And thou shalt rule over him. Notice something else. It says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? You see, there was a burning anger in Cain's heart and mind. He felt resentment. He felt indignation. That anger is declared in the Bible. That anger was depraved in his heart. It's seen in his face. It's written all over his countenance. And that anger was demonstrated because that anger in his heart caused him to murder his brother by his own hands. Could you picture them having a wee talk in the field? Maybe Abel saying, but, but you could have my altar, Cain. Look, I'll tell you what, I'll give you one of my little lambs. It's free, it'll not cost you anything. You, you take it and offer it to God and be, be accepted on the ground of the blood. And because of his anger and hatred against the word of God and the true worship of God, he then went against the will of God because the will of God is, thou shalt not kill. And he became the first murderer. See, let me put it to you this that false religion is not really tolerant at all. There's no tolerance for truth and righteousness. You take a man who stands for God. You take a church who stands for God. Let there be a call against sin. Let there be a call for true and genuine repentance, whether it's an individual church or a nation. And the false teacher, the false religion, is prepared to use force against us. And isn't that true of the persecution of the church down the ages? Why were the martyrs burned? Because of their loyalty to Jesus Christ. You see, false religion hates the true way of the cross. False religion is prepared to use the sword. Think of the Lollards under the days of John Wycliffe. Think of the many hundreds of martyrs that were murdered. All because of their love and loyalty to Jesus Christ. False religion is not really tolerant, certainly of truth and righteousness. Now, that's the features of true religion. I better be quick here. I want you to think of the fruit of the religion of Cain. If you go back to our text, it says in the book of Jude, verse 11, woe unto them. That word woe speaks of judgment. And if we correspond compare Genesis 4, we will realize that that is a reference to God's judgment upon Cain. There was punishment in time. I believe punishment as well in eternity. He, he was the first person to enter hell. He was a Christ rejecter. And also for Cain, there was 
punishment until the point was when he said, my punishment is greater than he could bear. God had come to him and said, why are you wroth? Why is your, you cast down? He said to him, if thou do well, will thou not be accepted? See, if he obeyed the word and approached God in the right way and embraced God's will and come at, with the blood, he would be accepted and he'd be granted excellency and favor with God. But because he chose a different pathway, then God warned him. Sin lieth at the door. Sin's couching. It's ready to pounce upon you. And, and, and Cain, of course, tries to be smart even after the murder because God had said to him, where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? See, he's prepared to cover up. He's prepared to lie. He's prepared to be smug and start with God. But I want you to tell you, he ends up a fugitive. He ends up a vagabond. And this poor man, here's the fruit of the religion of Cain. He ends up a man full of fear, a cursed man, a lost soul, a man that has no rest or peace, a man that's not satisfied within himself. He's unfruitful and unfulfilled in his life. A man whose life is spoiled. He's got a guilty conscience. A man who is guilt-ridden all his days. A man who spends his days wandering from the presence of the Lord. A man with no repentance. A man without genuine re remorse. A man full of resentment. My punishment is greater than I can bear. You see, remember, in relation to false teaching and false religion, God is not in it. God's not in the midst. God's not glorified. Christ is not honored. Ichabod is written on the door. God's eye is upon those that are false teachers, spreading the poison of lies against him and against his son, Jesus Christ, and against the blood that bought them. The fruit of the religion of Cain. God's judgment is upon it. God has set his face against it. And even though God deals with them in mercy and gives them space of repentance, he can bring them down and destroy them. Now, one final thing. Fighting the religion of Cain. We're called in this text, if you look at it carefully, he says, I write unto you and exhort you, you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The, the word Contend means to take a stand. Remember, we're called to be soldiers of the cross. Remember, we're set for the defense of the gospel. We're told to fight the good fight of faith. Now, how did Jude do that? He, he fought it by the pen because he exposed it by the pen. I've no doubt that he fought it by prayer. The word contend means uh, not only to take a stand, but to agonize. And surely we need to pray and we need to seek the help of the Lord. And I have no doubt that Jude, when he was thinking about earnestly contending for the faith, was, 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 was thinking about the preaching of the gospel. Lord, send thy light and thy truth. Whenever Paul came to Corinth and preached the gospel, there was either a revival or a riot. And, and there's a great need today to rediscover and understand the gospel. Remember, Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Spurgeon talked about the gospel being like a lion. Let the lion loose. It was Luther that said at the diet, here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God, my conscience is captive to the word of God. And oh, that we could learn to rediscover the power of the gospel. If we're converted by the gospel, we're custodians of the gospel. 
also by purity of life, living separate unto the Lord, with the motto, holiness unto the Lord, not a life of willful sin and rebellion, a life of humble obedience and and loving servitude to the God that saved us, and also by a spirit of perseverance. Remember, we're up against the devil. We're up against the dark forces of hell. We're not ignorant of his devices. Many of the martyrs sealed their testimony with their own blood. Tyndale, Wycliffe, many others. Spain, England, Europe, France. Too numerous to name. Why? Because of their love for Christ. Remember Paul says, the love of Christ constraineth me. So, so here's ways that we can fight against the religion of Cain. Error and falsehood. By the pain, by prayer, by preaching, by a life of purity unto the Lord, and by a life of perseverance. Keep an ongoing, believing that God's on the throne and the victory's ours at the end of the day. I commend to you this very short truth from the epistle of Jude. Woe unto them, for they've gone in the way of Cain. You think of the religion of Cain tonight, its features. The fruit that's being revealed and is revealed. And you think about the need to take a stand against it. May the Lord give us all grace and wisdom in these days.